We are outdoor ladies who hunt, shoot, and fish, all while working in conservation and chasing kids. I am Julia Plugge with the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. I'm Rachel Alice with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. I am Megan Weiskup with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And I'm Tana Fancher with the Kansas Department of Wildlife, Parks, and Tourism. Follow us on our outdoor adventures. And welcome back to She Goes Outdoors. The weather is finally nicer. Um, it's finally arrived. As you can hear, we've got a little background noise of the birds today. It's wonderful. Some of us are recording outside, so we're so thankful for it. And, uh, you know, with the return of that warm weather comes the return of bugs. I have so enjoyed leaving my windows and doors open and letting some fresh breeze in. But my partner very much disagrees with that practice. And... The reasoning for that is because we have the biggest, most monstrous flies that live near our property. I don't know what it is, um, but they come into our house. Our house is just a magnet for them. So I'm constantly in trouble for leaving that door open. I have no idea why they're so bad in our area, but I'm always getting busted. You know, not all people curse the return of insects, though. And so it's kind of a funny transition. We actually have a special guest, Amy Bousman, joining us to talk a little bit about entomophagy which is the practice of eating bugs. Well, Tina, I'm probably in that same house as you, boat as you. I don't know which one we want to say, but I usually am not welcoming to the bugs. I believe that we share the same ginormous flies, uh, the insects, it's turkey season. And I honestly, I think that the ticks see uh, the calendar and know when turkey season starts because they jump right into the blind with you. I don't know about you, but they jump into my blind as well. So for for this topic, I am very intrigued. Very, I am all ears to hear uh, about this topic that we're going to talk about today. And so, you know, Amy, we are happy to have you here today. And this is actually the second time we've had Amy on the podcast. Uh, last time... You joined us. We talked a lot about the role of wild game on our ancestral diets, the benefits of consuming game today. And we also fondly looked back on uh, your first deer harvest with Tana and how she got the opportunity to mentor you. So, so excited to hear about this all again. We loved having you on. Hey, you're back here again, talking about wild forage. That That is your diet. And including the insects. So again, welcome, Amy. I encourage our listeners to go back to those episodes when we talked about our ancestral and she'll and reintroduce and introduce herself there. And today, why don't you tell us, introduce yourself again, Amy. Thanks so much for that introduction. I appreciate it. Well, let's see. I'm based in Lawrence, Kansas. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner at the Atma Clinic. And yeah, I, I do a lot of what I call cellularly intended or biologically intended nutrition practices. So going back 12 to 15,000 years before the advent of modern agriculture, uh, eating like our ancestors ate, because that is still what we are 100% cellularly the same as and designed for. So 
foraging, wild game, and now this awesome topic on insects, edible insects, is really exciting for me to be able to share with others. Uh, So I'm, I'm happy to be here and talk about a new topic. And for our listeners, if you guys remember last time we had Amy on, it was basically just a really awkward montage of me fangirling over Amy because she is so cool. She does so much. You know, she's into foraging. She knows about natural medicines. She's just got so much to share. So we'll try to make it a little bit less awkward this time, but it'll probably be more of the same of me fangirling. So, <laughs> well, given the topic we're having, it might be a little awkward. I mean, this is this is a this is not your everyday talk conversation for our listeners. So, I hope we have everyone's full attention on this, and you certainly have mine because I'm here to learn a lot this morning or this episode. So, Amy, you know, just as I said, this is a unique topic for us on this show. Uh, but the practice of eating bugs has been around for thousands of years. Uh, that that's your that's your expertise. And can you tell us a little more about the role of bugs and have they? At, can you tell us a little more about the role of bugs have played in the evolutionary diets of humans? Yeah, absolutely. I love giving exposure to taboo topics. You know, this is one of those things that I can introduce to a group of awesome female hunters and field people. And then when we talk about eating things like organs and insects, you know, then it's like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. So I love having the opportunity to give more exposure and normalizing these things that, again, ancestrally, we're designed for and would have been what our ancestors would have actually sought out and been a large portion of the diet. So there's been a really exciting article come out over the last couple of weeks that's made its way around social media about how early humans were carnivores, you know, and we had very little forage. We ate large game. And once we kind of tapped out our large game resources, we started looking at smaller game and then looking at plants to forage. And if we go back, you know, to the kind of typical Paleolithic period, 12 to 15,000 years ago, and we look at how humans were eating during that time, there's this misperception that we were constantly feasting on large game, you know, bison, deer, moose, and the, the kind of strong warrior male hunter is highly revered and stereotyped and that he or a group of young men, warriors that would do these big hunts were the main food providers of a tribe. And in most tribes and geographically in most places, that is not the case. That was not true. It was actually mostly females, elderly and children that were out foraging. And when we were out foraging for berries and greens and very, very rarely finding, you know, a honey hive and digging up roots, we would also forage insects and insects are a perfect protein. You get so much deep, deep nutrition from insects. And I get, I bet we'll talk about that more in a bit, but for the evolutionary part of it, the insects would have made up the majority of our protein sources. That was more of the day-to-day protein 
based fare. And in an insect, let's take a grasshopper, for instance, if you take off the back legs with the kind of sharp spiny bits, you don't want to swallow those because they're easy to choke on, get stuck in a throat. That has the exoskeleton. And in the exoskeleton and in the bones that you also consume in an insect, you get a ton of minerals, a lot of calcium, some magnesium. You get, you get the whole bit. And that's what we were designed for, to eat the whole animal. And in an insect, it's very easy to do that. So insects would have provided, again, the majority of our protein sources. And then when one of these, you know, warriors came home with a deer or a bison or a large game, the whole tribe pulled together and processed it and preserved it and, you know, turned it into different useful forms. And that was not on as as often or as regular or consistent of an occasion as collecting insects was. Foraging and insect gathering happened, you know, on a seasonal basis. And that season definitely was more consistent than what we have with large game. This topic of conversation and talking about the protein in our in the warriors that you were talking about, it came to mind the movie Lion King. And when Simba has run off with Pumbaa and Timon and lives off insects and grows to continue to be this strong warrior lion off of insects, perfect example, boom, right there. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Good, good metaphor. Can you tell I have kids at home and watch Disney movies? <laughs> yeah, that's all good. That's sustainable nutrition, though, and you can personalize it and you can relate it to your life. That creates sustainability and breaks down some of the taboo. That's how you can normalize it. So I say that's great. <laughs> Use it as an example. So, Amy, we know that bugs are good for us. And like you mentioned, we're going to get into that in a little more detail later. And we also know that eating them in various forms is widely accepted in a lot of cultures. But I have to be honest, and we've acknowledged it already, it is a bit taboo. And I think a lot of us are still having a hard time wrapping our heads around the idea of eating bugs. So I'm curious, what prompted you to start eating insects for the first time? Yeah, um, I went to a primitive skills Flint napping, napping, they called it, uh, in the Ozarks at Boyd Ark Conservation Area in Southern Missouri. And Bo Brown, actually, who has written a really great foraging book. It's been published within the last year, maybe six months even. Uh, he led an insect eating foraging class and I took it. And I knew a little bit about entomophagy beforehand, but that really lit the, the passion and the interest for me because being in the field, having this normalized, being taught about, you know, from an ancestral perspective that this is something we're intended for and how much deep nutrition can come from it really just lit a, a massive fire for me. So it was, it was at Primitive Skills Camp, Bo Brown, excellent resource. And there was no like, ew factor. It's just, you know, collect what you can find and we're going to cook it. We're going to eat it. It's just, this is what we're going to do when it was normal. <laughs> so we've alluded to it a few times now. What, what are some of those health benefits? You talked about it being a perfect protein, um, a lot of maybe minerals, um, and then also what about like from an environmental or sustainability standpoint, I'm curious what the 
environmental or sustainability benefits of eating insects is? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's actually being alluded to and has been for the last, I would say five years or so as the sustainable protein of the future. You know, we, we cannot keep wasting natural resources the way we do for food production and insects can be grown ethically in a very small space without a lot of input and they have a quick turnaround time. When I raise animals, I like to focus on animals that have a quick turnaround time, like quail or rabbits. You know, it's really only a few months from birth to harvest. And insects have even more of a turnaround time and they, you know, can reproduce, lay eggs rapidly. And this is a very successful reproduction cycle that they have. So it's easy to create a lot of protein in small spaces. And we don't have to worry about the confined, uh, the confinement issues or aspects of raising this protein, like we do with, you know, cows and pigs and chickens. If you research any of these confinement factories, they're just horrible. I mean, these animals are grown so unethically and immorally. And this is um, a way to again, grow a lot of nutrient dense protein in a small space without uh, damaging the, the ethical life of a sentient being, you know, of an insect. So that, you know, there are great environmental impacts, not a lot of input that they need. They can live off of composted material, you know, scrap from the nutritional density perspective the things we were intended for that I'm constantly trying to get my clients to eat more of are bones and marrow and organs and skin is actually an organ and the animal has you know an insect has an exoskeleton that we consume if we eat it in its full form and that creates a complete protein with all the amino acids you get some organs in there so all the things that people are kind of freaked out to eat are wrapped up in this one little package and a little bit goes a long way. So the nutrient density, the protein is very dense, the minerals, the vitamins that you get from it because of the bones and the organs and all the other good stuff you're eating from it. It's very dense nutrition. So a little bit goes a long ways. We're not talking about sitting down and eating, you know, 40 insects, depending on what it is. It's not, you're not going to have like a grasshopper patty or something, you know, it's, it's just a, a very dense source of nutrition and, uh, and similar with the environmental aspect, they can be grown densely and morally, ethically. So it's a pretty perfect food in my perspective. Amy, I'm just imagining you like sitting down with a popcorn bowl full of grasshoppers or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love how you're like, that's not necessarily what I mean. <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. And I would say my most user-friendly way to consume insects is just through cricket flour. Cricket flour. There are so many things you can do with it. I've made cricket flour cookies they can be, it can be put into smoothies. It can be made in, you know, part with other flours for bread, muffins, protein bars, protein balls are so many options for how to use it. And it just has a nice, like deep earthy taste. It's not funky. 
It's not off-putting, especially when combined with other flavors. And again, it's super dense nutrition. Uh, it's, it's really great. So Amy, where would one buy cricket flour? Uh, Amazon of all places. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and there's a company called Chapool. And that is, um, I believe, the Latin American name for it, for, I believe. Yeah, so Chapool flour. And it's, it's great. It's a little more expensive, but again, a little bit goes a long ways. And it's like enriching another recipe. You can use a totally normal recipe, take out a third of a cup of the flour that's supposed to be in there and replace it with some cricket flour. Curiosity talking about the cricket flour. Now, I mean, is this your, your everyday cricket that would be hopping around Kansas, Iowa, and Nebraska? Or is this a different, you know, if, if somebody wanted to catch their own crickets, could they make their own flour? And if so, where would 100%. they find the recipe? Okay. 100%. Yeah. It's actually pretty straightforward. Um, and I guess if Bo Brown were listening to this, he would probably want some clarification and he would do a better job with clarification than me to make a distinction between the term bugs and insects. And because I was calling, I was calling them bugs, you know, and he said, well, actually we need to be more careful. These are insects that we're consuming. When we think about bugs, there's more of perception of, you know, something that might be dirty or bugs that live in the gut that aren't supposed to be there, right? And some insects carry bugs just like other animals. So we do need to boil them first and then dry them, dehydrate them, take off the back legs. So this is appropriate for grasshoppers and crickets because you can make grasshopper flour too. And you would just pull off the back spiny legs after you dehydrate them or before you dehydrate them is fine. And then grind them, grind them down food processor or a spice grinder, and then sift out, you know, sift through a fine mesh strainer, the bigger pieces that had a hard time grinding down. It's definitely something you can do. I mean, we've got no shortage of insects when we're in the right season, you know, and the way that I like to, I guess. Amy, do you have a, ch- a chicken or a rooster joining you? I know. Do you have to fight that chicken for the crickets? I mean, seriously, does that chicken leave you any crickets? <laughs> My neighbor has a few chickens and they're, That's awesome. I don't know what they want right now. They have some things to say about grasshoppers and chickens. They right heard now, it. You were, yeah, like they heard, <laughs> they heard you're taking their meal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, if anything, that should just add to the authenticity of this podcast. Julia is coming in straight off of this giant educational event and joined us. I'm decked out in full camo. Amy is battling chickens and Rachel just rolled in straight from a meeting as well. So we're all uh, we're, we're working on our toes here, just bringing you the, the sounds of nature. So, so, Amy, I have to ask, what what percentage of your diet would you say? bugs or excuse me insects makeup yeah very small very small percentage this is you know something that again from an ancestral perspective if we were in the field we lived outside 24 7 we're foraging all of our food you know a large percentage would come from insects but just for the sake of convenience in my home you know again I use 
cricket flower as more of an enriching agent. And I have gone out and hunted, hunted, doesn't that sound funny? I've hunted grasshoppers and, <laughs> and crickets. Well, they're and fast. There, there's some skill required. There's no they doubt. Are, and they're, the way to do it is to actually go out at night and look at the tops of grasses and flowers and tall plants. And just like you would with a frog. Yep. You want to just shine a light on it and then use a jar that you cup or, you know, a bug net would work fine, an insect net. Uh, so there's ways to get them. And then I would put them in a jar with a lid on in the freezer and that kind of shocks them. And then you can do the boiling to kill off any parasites that might be in the insect and then proceed. <laughs> I see some fascinated looks. No, I'm, I, I'm like... You know, I was getting ready for this podcast and I was like, I don't really, this is amazing. I'm, I'm learning more today than, than on some of our other podcasts and mm -hmm. my head, if you could see inside it, it's just whirling and whirling with questions. But I think just the idea of incorporating cricket flour, you know, you're bringing a little bit more of that protein into your normal, I mean, I like to sneak zucchini into muffins, right? And I think I'm like, right. I'm, I'm getting a mom win, if you will, by getting that <laughs> veggie in there. Game yes. on. I'm so excited mm -hmm. to try it. And, and, they're, and they're actually on Amazon also, that same brand, Chapool, they make some bars and the bars are awesome. These protein bars are really clean and they taste great. I mean, my kids love to know that they're, they're eating insects. It's just like for kids, it's like, oh, gross, let's do it. You know, and for adults, right. they're like, let's gross, let's not do it. But I mean, it's, <laughs> it's as cool as finding worms, right? Now I'm eating crickets, but they're in a bar. Game yeah. on. I'm yeah, excited. For sure. Sorry, you got me all jazzed up here on this Wednesday. I'm, I'm excited. Before you got on the call, I was like, I want to normalize these taboo off-limits topics. So I'm glad that you're feeling motivated and inspired to incorporate it somehow. If we're fortunate enough to continue the She Goes Outdoors program, we need to partner with Amy to put together like a beginner entomophagy box where we have samples of some of these flowers and energy bars and products. And then we also have maybe recipe books or jars to go out and catch your own insects. I'm seeing a vision here. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'd love it. to love to collaborate there. That'd be awesome. We've talked a lot about crickets and grasshoppers, and that's been, you know, the main focus of the insects that we've been talking about. But um, are those, is one of those your favorite insects to consume? Or is there another insect that we haven't even tapped into quite yet? What, yeah, what there's a whole other area we haven't talked about, which is oh my boy. favorite. Okay, <laughs> we got to know which one is your favorite. Larvae, actually, insect larvae. I know, weird and gross, right? This is when, but, okay, yeah, you should have, <laughs> listeners, you should have saw all of our faces. I think our eyes popped out like Roger Rabbit, that movie does when it's like, bah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotta hear you, got our attention. Yeah, I had this experience at that um, primitive skills camp, and we actually robbed a wasp nest of its larvae and dry fried the wasp, the wasp larvae, larvae, and it was like butter. It was so delicious. Just a dry fry and a little bit of sea salt. And it was awesome. I mean, it's just larvae is fat. So there's another source that we would have easier access to and easier to track down. And yeah, so we get a lot of the protein from the actual adult insect and we get more of the fat from the larvae. 
and it's, it's delicious. I mean, it's not weird. When Tana was opening with the fly issue, I'm like, eh, I'm not eating flies. <laughs> I'm not eating maggots. I'm not, you know, that's, that is still for me uh, out there, but I am not, I don't think it's gross. You know, I know that that is a very important source of nourishment for a lot of people around the world, like 75 to 80% of Earth's population still consumes insects. This is like the normal for the majority of our planet. And most of those people are consuming insects consciously and intentionally. There was a group of people in Southern India. Southern India has some of the worst health rates in the whole world and currently today, but it didn't used to be that way. They are, because of religious purposes, mostly vegan, I think with some dairy as the exception. And traditionally, when these people in Southern India were growing their own grains and legumes, when they would harvest these grains and legumes, they would store them in burlap bags. And when they brought them in for storage after harvest, there would be larvae and insects already living on the plants. And these larvae would hatch in the burlap bags and the people consuming them consumed them consciously, knowing that they were eating insects, they were eating larvae with their grains and with their legumes. And that created a complete protein in their vegetarian, almost vegan diet, right? And when we went to more industrialized farming, and monoculture, monocropping, we're using pesticides and killing off insects and those insects and larvae don't have a chance to grow in the burlap airy bags, then they lost the complete protein and their health scores have plummeted dramatically. So that's, I mean, that's an indication and a testament right there as to what a little bit of this insect protein and fat from the larvae can do for a person's health. And it's one of the first places I go when I have vegetarian or vegan clients that either want to or need to transition into more of an animal-based diet for their health. I will use something, of course, with their knowledge and permission, like a cricket flour, because it's not the same as, you know, tearing into a steak or a burger or some muscle meat. And it's going to give them, like I've said already a few times, very dense nutrition and a complete protein that you don't get otherwise on a vegetarian or a vegan diet. So that, that is really exciting work for me to do as well. And I get the opportunity to transition someone into more of an animal-based way of eating, using insects as kind of the bridge, you know, to, to get to get them back into eating animal-based Amy, on, on a personal level, it's fascinating. Um, fun fact, I was actually a vegetarian for 13 years. You know, you used a lot of legumes and, and trying to get those protein from your other sources. And, and it was always kind of a misconception that reintroducing a protein, you know, an animal-based protein, you know, you're going to have health side effects or you're going to feel it. And so I think that's really interesting. How, one way that you've kind of bridge that and, and address that by going through the insects. It's, it's fascinating to me, quite honestly. Um, 
to, personally, it was easier to go towards a fish because it was it was a little easier um, protein for me, just because I, I grew up on the East Coast and and had fish and seafood and uh, as part of my normal diet prior to being a vegetarian. So it's 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 awesome. Um, what a cool way to to introduce those kind of hidden proteins, if you will, um, into their normal diet. It's just, yeah. For sure. Cool. Yeah. So Amy, yes. I've had the pleasure of seeing you out in the wilderness and I know what a bad mamma jamma you are. I'm <laughs> imagining you out there at night, like shining your lights on insects and trying to catch them in jars and stuff. And something I think we're all probably curious about now because you've opened this door for us is like, when should I be harvesting insects? So obviously insects are more abundant when it's a little bit warmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there a, a certain time of year or a season that I should focus on? I, I really start to pay attention to when the population increases. And I guess it's what stage of life you want to get the insect in. You know, what kind of insect do you want? And what stage of life do you want it in? So if you want the adult cricket or the adult grasshopper, then of course, just keep your eyes open for when you start seeing a lot of them, when you start seeing damage in your garden, you know, that's the time to, I mean, there's some pest control right there, (laughs) insect control, just eat them, pay attention to that. And then earlier in the season for larvae. So what about the health risks then, Amy? Is there, um, like, should I be nervous about eating any critters? Or I'm thinking of especially that like dark liquid that comes out of a grasshopper's mouth when you catch it. Is there anything dangerous about eating insects? We want to cook them first in case they're carrying any pathogens. You know, we don't want to consume them raw, ideally. Cooking will be fine. I mean, even... From what I understand, if I'm remembering this correctly, even some poisonous spiders can be consumed if they are cooked. And I tried a spider at the um, primitive skills camp and I can say, I don't want to try another one. (laughs) They're pretty bitter. Uh, There is a great documentary out that I, when I really got into entomophagy, I showed my kids and they were like ages seven and two or eight and three, somewhere in there. And I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me, but it really normalizes things. And it shows some like Indonesian grandma eating a huge tarantula, you know, and I'm just like, man, that's pretty gnarly, but that it's, it's just really depends on what you've grown up with and what's been normalized for you culturally. Uh, But, but cooking in general is the way you want to go with things like worms, you know, earthworms. I have read it's important to feed earthworms like a cornmeal, just let them live in a cornmeal mix for a while so that you're not consuming soil and any of the pathogens that might be in the soil. You're just kind of consuming recycled cornmeal through them. And then of course, cooking still. Yeah, cooking is really the the safest way to go with most insects. So- Amy, you've talked about your kids on on our podcast a couple times, and and you mentioned that they've kind of gotten in on the eating bugs, and they appreciate wild game and and foraging. What's their reaction? Are they on board with it? Are they or they're like, yes, I'll do this, but absolutely no on something else. Just what's their take? Well, I've tried to normalize it for them. You know, thankfully I started out with this weird food stuff before they were born. 
and developed those skills more and more since they've been with me. But, um, you know, my daughter was two years old when I went to that primitive skills camp and was eating insects right there by my side. She's my mini me. So, you know, she, any, pretty much anything mama does or tries, she wants to do it too. Uh, there was actually a phase for her when she was three years old, where she was obsessed with roly pulleys, <laughs> pill bugs, and she would forage and collect a little jar or a basket and have me fry them up in butter. And she would sit there and eat these crunchy little roly pulleys. And I, you know, I loved it. I absolutely love that stuff. And um, roly pulleys are actually crustaceans. So if you like crab, you like lobster, you like the bottom feeders in the ocean, you know, these insects, roly-polies, crustaceans, insects with exoskeletons, they're no different. I mean, it's, you know, it's very, very similar makeup, genetic. Amy, you, you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier, but, you know, you preface it again, weird habits, but as you travel the world, I mean, it, it is commonplace it's normal to to eat what you can harvest right it, it's no different than in my eyes than going turkey hunting or deer hunting you are hunting and and my love of crustaceans of crab lobster scallops you name it anything that's delicious i really want to go try roly-poly uh it, it, yeah, puts, dude. it puts like the whole world in a different perspective now instead of instead of this cream of the crop you know um food source that is really limited to the coast um a little landlocked midwest we have a new new thing to try i'm thanks <laughs> yeah, thank you honestly <laughs> well you know these this are uh our version of crustaceans, our Midwest crustaceans are free and sustainable. So that's a, that's an exciting element too. I mean, there are a lot of people who grow insects, edible insects on their patio or, you know, on their, even in an apartment balcony, you know, this is a very easy way to grow protein at home that, you know, nobody else is even going to know what you're doing. So any, any kind of restrictions in a community or whatever, I mean, it's like, it, it's easily done and easily done too for like speaking of the chicken noise earlier growing your own insects for your your home chickens or other birds that you raise like this is this is really really sustainable food source not just for us but for the other things that give us food like chickens and eggs right so do you have any advice for someone that wants to get into this or really wants to kind of diversify their their diet and, and incorporate um, insects a little bit more into it? There are a lot of groups actually on Facebook and social media, Facebook, Instagram, and I would do searches for like edible insects or entomophagy. There is a something called, and they do call them bugs and not insects, but Brooklyn Bug Project, I think something like it, where there's a group in Brooklyn where they go and have these amazing meals that are like fine dining cuisine and based off of insects. Um, here in Lawrence, where I'm based, we had a couple of local chefs collaborate when we had the big 
um, cicada locust hatching a few years ago and they were in the park and made like locust tacos. You know, there's a lot of different groups out there that are getting into this and are interested and you can, you can find them and get some support or create a local group. Um, it is definitely easier and more fun to go harvesting insects with a small group tribally. You know, we wouldn't have one person gone out and collected all the insects for a family. It would have been done collectively. And that is another form of, I think, an ancestral practice that we're missing out on, especially when we hunt, not not for subsistence, but just for um, supplemental meat in the freezer. We hunt solo or hunt, you know, with a friend it's that's not really what we were intended for we were intended for these more social group activities and that i think is why i get so much one of the reasons why i get so much pleasure out of being able to hunt with tana and have a mentor it's because it's it's really not supposed to be a solo thing this is something we do together especially with insects because there are so many of them and they are so quick and so tricky when we have a group doing it together it can be fun there's a lot of social media resources available that movie I wish I could think of the name of it if I come up with it I'll I'll send it your guys's way uh, but that was a good introduction and see how normalized it is in other parts of the world and see that there's a lot of different preparation. So social media and the Chapool products definitely get a Chapool protein bar and some Chapool protein powder and it'll be good to go. It'll be all over after that. Speaking of, you know, all over the world and um, is there is there any reason to be concerned with, you know, we talk about just getting bugs or excuse me, insects, you know, right in our yard. Is there any concern with, you know, so many of our, our yards anymore are full of pesticides or herbicides. Should we be concerned about consuming insects that are in our urban yards that may be sprayed by, um, by those chemicals? Totally. That is such a good point to make. And it's really important that I do think that foraging in, you know, a wildlife area or a conservation area that is going to be cleaner is the way to go because insects can travel, you know, like bees, uh, bees can travel, I think up to like four or five miles. So in order to have an organic apiary you'll have to have a five mile radius around you that's pretty hard to come up with right so insects can definitely travel and trying to get them more in wilderness areas is advised that's that's a super smart thought because all they're eating for the most part are greens vegetation so i've got to hop on my soapbox here a little bit and i want to highlight something that amy did really well i mean this whole thing has been amazing amy and thank you so much for it but I want to make really clear that we're not, um, you know, shaming like the cattle industry by any means, but part of being good stewards of the land is understanding sustainability practices and that we may have to adjust our habits in the future as our population grows. Um, you know, it just might not be responsible anymore, or we might need to supplement some of the protein in our diets with additional sources. So uh, Amy, I'm so appreciative of what you're doing to break down these barriers to explore some of that and really just create better all around stewards of the land. I think that's so cool. 
Thanks, Tana. Yeah, this is becoming increasingly important to me as I work with, you know, different diets and different nutritional templates in my professional practice and my home life. Uh, the kids and I, two weeks ago, tomorrow, started a 100-mile diet where all of the food that we consume comes within 100 miles of our home. The exceptions there are when we travel or a social event, holiday, you know, something like that. But everything at home that we're consuming is grown within 100 miles of Florence, Kansas. And it feels so right to me, you know, and insects can fit into that equation. But we, with our natural resources being drained rapidly and population growing rapidly, we can't logistically keep going in this direction and thinking of ways to come up with more nutrient dense foods that are going to feed a lot of people and have very little input is like I said, increasingly important to me. And that's really where my focus is shifting with nutrition as these sustainable practices uh, and uh, I mean, I eat, I eat beef, you know, I'm just eating beef that's raised on pasture and has a different impact on the, on the environment. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Well, all Amy and I are going to get out. I can't remember if we've mentioned this already, but Amy and I get to meet up for a turkey hunt next weekend. So hopefully we can update you on our progress there. I'm sure it'll be successful whether or not we are able to grab a bird. Um, and then our KDWPT commissioner, Lauren Sill, is actually going to be helping mentor Amy as well. So um, we're going to have a lot of fun doing that. And hopefully we get the chance to update you all while we're out there. Maybe we'll peek around and see if we can find some insects for me to try for the first time. Uh, <laughs> I will try to keep an open mind, Amy, and I so appreciate the light you've shed on that. And then hopefully we could maybe find some morel mushrooms starting to pop at that time too, or catch some crappies on the fly rod. Ah, there you go. I'm totally down. I'm ready. Anna, we it's want Facebook posts. You put you put some images on there, Facebook of your uh, turkey hunt, any insects that you might be hunting as well. We want some pictures. Post it out there. I might have Amy a new. I have a new personal um, agenda now for next weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, guys, Amy and I are going to do just a social media takeover next week. So just be ready for us. We're going to be out right. there in the woods. Speaking of turkey hunting, so ticks usually are a, um, they attract during, I, I feel like you sit down, at least in Nebraska, you sit down in the field in the pasture of during turkey season and it's like, oh, hunter, they swarm to you. They attract to you. Is, I mean, is, is, do you eat ticks? Is there anything? No. Okay. Had to know. Definitely had to know. Not. Okay. Just because, just because of the diseases they can carry. I okay. That's what I thought. Diseases are super intense. I actually work with a lot of people clinically with Lyme disease and Bartonella exposure. So um, that that's one that I definitely steer clear of, but yeah. you know, you can collect them and go feed them to somebody's guineas or your local neighborhood opossum. <laughs> if you could keep that chicken quiet with you in there, I mean, have that chicken pick them away. Yes. Totally. <laughs> you know, as we start wrapping this up, Amy, is there anything that we missed, you know, a, additional information that you want to share with our listeners? No, this has been really fun, uh, reflecting on some of my field experience and exposing my kids to this stuff. 
you know, that's really where it starts is at birth with kids and nutrition and passing on information that was made taboo for us culturally, but that is totally normalized in the rest of the world. So uh, I, I would say anybody out there with access to young kids, whether it's through a school or through your family, just get them on the bandwagon, you know, go, this can be a really fun activity to do with children. And typically, even if there is a weird or ooh factor, that's what's exciting to them about it, you know, so we can kind of um, transform and celebrate the taboo aspect by having these fun activities and challenges to try new things that are nutrient dense. And great for the planet i'm there what is earth day is coming up that could be a really good earth day activity make some cricket flower protein balls or something awesome well amy we always love having you on we've done such a or not we you've done such a good job walking us through this process talking about you know the history and the cultural aspects that go with consuming insects um, you've talked about ways to kind of get your foot in the door with some of that cricket flour, which I'm really interested to try. You could maybe talk me into that next weekend. All right. I might bring some with me if I remember. And then, you know, we even got into some of the nitty gritty of like where to look, how to look, what types are best to consume in your opinion or what you prefer. So I really appreciate the well-rounded conversation we had today. Don't forget, of course, to connect with our She Goes Outdoors team on Facebook and Instagram. With that, I think we're ready to wrap it up unless anybody has anything else. Thanks for having me, ladies. I had fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us and we will see you outdoors. Outdoors.